Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kia ora, everyone, and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Alison Balance ho. Tonight, we're all about this bird. That's the sound of the New Zealand storm petrel, and those rare recordings, the first ever made of that little seabird, were released to RNZ this week by the Northern New Zealand Seabird Trust. So why is it taken until now for us to find out what New Zealand's smallest seabird sounds like? It's an amazing story of rediscovery, discovery, and many mysteries along the way. The New Zealand storm petrel had only ever been known from three museum specimens, the last of which had been collected in 1895. Everyone assumed it was extinct. Then, in 2003, it was dramatically rediscovered in the Hauraki Gulf. The Northern New Zealand Seabird Trust, led by Chris Gaskin and Matt Rayner, began a long search to find out where these birds were breeding. They caught storm petrels at sea, fitted them with miniature radio transmitters and tried to track them. Finally, In the early autumn of 2013, they hit pay dirt. Literally, since storm petrels breed in underground burrows. In a steep valley on Hauturu, Little Barrier Island, they discovered a breeding colony. It was the first time ever that New Zealand storm petrel eggs and chicks were seen. And we're not talking a lot here, just three chicks. Every summer since then, a team of volunteers from the Northern New Zealand Seabird Trust have spent five or six weeks on Hauturu trying to find out more. And this year, I had the privilege of joining them, along with seabird experts Alan Tennyson from Te Papa, Megan Friesen from the University of Auckland and the Northern New Zealand Seabird Trust, and Karen Baird from Forest and Bird. Now, like all petrels and shearwaters, New Zealand storm petrels are nocturnal on land, so there's a lot of night work involved. And as I discovered, those calls that we heard earlier, they play a key role. By day, the forest on Hauturu Little Barrier Island belongs to the land birds. Tui, kaka, the tutuwai or robin, tiaki or saddlebacks. But by night, it belongs to the seabirds. And down near the coast is a patch of forest that is ringing with the sound of bird calls. Now that's the sound of New Zealand storm petrels, but actually it's a recording of New Zealand storm petrels. And to find out why, I'm going to head down this track. And in a few minutes' time I'll find some people And the people sitting in deck chairs are staring up at the sky. It's quite fun staring at the sky all night. It's amazing what you see. Lots of um, shooting stars and things like that. (laughs) Satellites. In terms of seabirds, what are you looking for? Well, our target birds are the New Zealand storm petrels. 
but we see a lot of the other species that are here, which the most common ones, the cook's petrel, and occasionally see black petrels, but we also see bats flying through and all sorts of other strange things. You can recognise them just by the way they fly and their size and their colour pattern because they're kind of white underneath with a black head and they tend to flap quite a lot compared to some of the other birds which glide a bit more. So they're, they're reasonably distinctive uh, even though they're way up in the sky and it's sort of we're just getting light shining on there underneath from where we're looking. So every time you see something coming over here that looks like a seabird you both flash your spotlights on. Yep. So we've got the we've got a really big beam in the middle there which goes continuously and that's basically putting a glow up in the sky and that allows us to see a bird move, moving across the sky but we can't see it very clearly so then we've got handheld uh, stronger spotlights which are more directional which we can put right onto the bird and as soon as we get these on them we can tell what species they are. And then if it's a New Zealand storm petrel what happens? You go fishing. Yeah, then we keep the beam on it, hopefully until we land it, because the idea is that uh, basically they get disorientated by the uh, light and they can't quite see where they're flying, so they come lower and lower out of the sky and eventually uh, land on the ground. And you scoop them up. And we scoop them up. But in general, this this technique's been used in quite a few places now. Um, Petrels are highly nocturnal, or most of them are anyway, so they're, they're only coming ashore at night, and a lot of them get attracted to lights, and so we're putting up these lights deliberately to bring them in. Um, but they, you know, they don't get injured, they land quite softly, usually down on the, on the grass or on the trees, and they're very used to landing in these conditions naturally anyway. Most of these birds, uh, when they come into their nests, uh, crashing straight into the ground or going through uh, forest canopies and things and then dropping from the canopy to the ground. So then they're perfectly used to sort of crash landing, I suppose. That's their normal way of getting into the ground anyway. So it's not really hurting them um, the way we're landing them. And it's just a waiting game. And the more time we put in, the more likely we are to catch them. I'm getting used to the sound of the... Storm petrel recording that just keeps playing on and on and on and on. Yep, it's a, bit, a little bit monotonous, but there's fairly good evidence that the the call is actually attracting uh, birds in as well as the light. There's one there, so I'm going to go and take it now. They look interestingly demented running around waving those spotlights, don't they? <laughs> they do. Looks quite weird from further away as well because you just see these spotlights going up and then moving around in the air. <laughs> that one just shot straight off into the distance, didn't pay any attention to our lights. We just saw it go through the main beam, but when we put our spotlights on it, it just kept flying straight out to sea. So that might have been something like a breeding bird that was in a burrow inland and was just going out to sea and just didn't have any interest in us. So it's pretty normal. Some of them are interesting, some of them aren't. Back to the seat, looking at the stars again. Some of them take a long time to land. We might chase one round the light here for 10 minutes or more circling. It's things like the wind that really 
cause problems because there might be a bird that is kind of getting sucked in but the wind keeps pushing it away so it's kind of this battle between our lights pulling it in and the wind blowing it away and that can just go on for ages and we have to run quite a long way after them chasing them because we want to keep the light as close to them as possible. Oh, there's a bat flying through. They look really like storm petrels, in fact the bats, but they fly quite similarly too and they're the same size. But um, they don't have that clear white underside with a black head, they're just brown all over, so you can usually pick them fairly easily. There's quite a lot of petrol traffic going through. Yep, well there's a huge number of Cook's petrels bred on this island, it's their main colony. Uh, some hundreds of thousands of them, so a very common bird here. Um, they're so common that you can hear them um, flying over parts of Auckland. That sort of kick, 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 kick noise you might hear. It looks like uh, there's one right above us now, so I'm going to run away at this point. Uh, up, 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 up above us here. Oh, you guys got this. <laughs> yep, it's down. Split second later and we caught one. <laughs> Finally. So, it's just a matter of chance, yeah. You never know. So I don't know, we've probably seen ten so far. And then that one just came down quite fast, so yeah. They're cute little birds, aren't they? Tiny little delicate things. Put my little red light on. Yeah. It's a beauty, an absolute beauty. Yeah. Do you want to describe it? Um, okay, it's it's basically black above, nice little cute black head and little tiny little black beak. It's white below with distinctive stripes on its belly, um, and it's also got a um, white rump. If we open the wings a bit, um, like all storm petrels, it's got really long, skinny legs. And so big, they, big they, feet. <laughs> big feet, big web feet. So they. Um, push off the surface of the water of these things they, when they're feeding they're sort of flying along the surface and putting their feet on the water quite a lot They almost look like they're running on the water don't they? They do, yeah yeah. OK, Matt has a bag so slip the, it into that for safekeeping the There you go, safely in the bag and now yeah, it's going off for processing yep. and I'll keep watching for more So we've just caught a New Zealand storm petrel. It's not banded, so it's not one that's been caught before. And now we're going to put a metal band on it with a distinct number and color bands on the leg. So each storm petrel has a different combination of color bands. So if we see them at sea, or if anybody sees them at sea, we'll be able to tell when they were banded um, from our from our database of bands and we'll also take measurements on all the different kind of features of the bird so part the bones in their leg the tarsus and the bill and the wing and we also look for things um, related to if they're breeding so that they have a brood patch how their molt has been so if they've molted their feathers oh you better crack into it you've got a bit to do yeah (laughs) just the first one of the night First of hopefully many. Hopefully. <laughs> so, Lee, have you seen this a few times? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. 
And when we first started catching them, it was amazing because, like, everyone was super excited and you just heard everyone, you know, as soon as it was a storm picture, it was like, Stormy! And everyone, like, running, trying to catch it. And um, so the first few ones are really, really neat and putting them down in the burrows. And some of them stayed in the burrows. Uh, we actually had a couple that stayed there overnight and snuggled up to each other. So we were quite hopeful that perhaps they'd breed in the, in the artificial burrows as well. So um, here's hoping that will happen this year. Got our fingers crossed. The burrows that Doc Ranger Lee Joyce is talking about are part of an artificial colony that's been established in the nearby forest. And putting each bird into one of these burrows after they've been banded is my job. So Megan, I've made a little visit to the colony and we've put that little storm petrel into burrow 38. Now what are you doing here? You've got a table and a chair and you're right by the speaker. Loud in here. Um, so I have night vision gear here. This is a night vision scope that records video and it also records um, photos and uh, acoustic recorder to record sound. You can probably hear birds calling here. Um, that's the speaker that we're uh, playing. And what we had tonight, just right after we started, around 9.30, just after sunset, a New Zealand storm petrel actually flew into this artificial colony site. It landed on the ground, and it didn't make any sounds at all, um, but it had its wings up, it was flapping its wings around, which is a really unique petrel behavior that we haven't seen in any other species as far as we know. And it flapped its wings around for a few seconds, and then it went straight into one of our artificial burrows, and it's in there right now. Um, so we're really, really hopeful that maybe it could be laying an egg in there. Um, so now I'm just sitting here waiting to see if any other birds come in, maybe a pair, or um, if that bird might leave. It's just waiting in the dark. Excellent. Hopefully they'll catch Hopefully another bird. Catch more. And um, I'll see who you knows? I might shortly, be back yeah. soon. Okay. See you later. The next day, Alan and Megan take me back to the colony to check whether the two storm petrels that we put in boxes the night before have left. So this is the common pattern in the past, and we've put put dozens of birds into boxes, they, they tend to have gone out by the next morning. But occasionally there's one still in there, or even two still in there. Oh, there's one sitting in there, very quietly. Wow. Do you want to describe it to me, Megan? Well, it's just sitting. We put rocks in here to try to make a little crevice for it. I think this was the last bird we caught, so it would have been caught pretty late, around 2.30 or so, so it wouldn't have had a lot of time to leave before the sun came up, so it'll probably leave sometime tonight after dark, but these boxes just are quite small. They've got some natural vegetation in them, leaf litter and whatnot, so that they can try to build a little nest in there, hopefully, someday. There's almost no natural burrows of New Zealand storm petrel known at all, and the ones that have been found in previous years appear to be inactive now, so we actually don't have any nests that we can monitor. So part of the reason for having an artificial colony set up is that hopefully we're actually going to get birds breeding in a site where they can be readily monitored in the future. One of the other reasons for nest boxes is actually to make 
nests that would exclude Cook's petrels from them. So there are tubes coming out of the nest boxes which have a diameter which is small enough to allow a storm petrel in but not allow a Cook's petrel in. So if they do nest in these they, these boxes, they should be really good, safe nesting places, but so far we actually haven't had any of them nesting in them. But we have had birds coming in and using them, so we're still hopeful there might be some birds that start nesting them. I mean, petrels take a few years to start breeding, so nothing happens in a hurry. So. Yeah, the other thing we do here is to check the other... Um, artificial site just so we can check the cameras we've got cameras set up there so we don't have to disturb them because we don't want to open the lid like these ones that we just did Um, if light causes them to have disturbance we don't want to do that so we can just check the cameras and see if anybody's gone into their tunnels so we're back at the hut and you've loaded the SD card onto your computer tell me what you're looking at so we're watching some videos now of a bird that's landed right near one of the artificial burrows that it's been building a nest in, flapping around, possibly looking for other storm petrels. It hasn't gone into one of the artificial burrows yet, but it's right underneath where that speaker was that's blasting the calls that they make. They don't walk very well, do they? They're, they're meant for a life at sea. <laughs> you can tell how small they are by looking at how big the leaf litter looks yeah, around them. You realise how tiny they would be. How do, how do they compare to other birds, Alan, in terms of size? Oh, the storm petrels are, are the tiniest of all the oceanic seabirds. They're pretty minute. They're not really much bigger than a, a sparrow or something. But they're incredibly resilient out in the open ocean. You know, they can get in massive seas, massive winds, and they just um, seem to be able to cope with it really well. Now, Megan, there was a shot there of a storm petrel that seemed to potter off out of shot and then into shot came. A kiwi. <laughs> Lovely. Another kiwi. I'm heading across the grassy flats to the where the storm petrel team are working and it's a really still night again and I can hear kiwi in the distance. I can also hear the t- recordings, the sound recordings of the New Zealand storm petrel, those precious few recordings that they have. And it looks like a laser light show going on. So to give you a mental picture of what it's like, two people with these enormous torches, which have a big, long beam of light coming out, very focused, not very wide. It's a bit like a lightsaber battle in Star Wars going on. Until 2013, no-one had any idea really where these things nested. At that point, uh, four nests were located. All in the same place? All in the same valley on Little Barrier, but um, it was clear from the tracking that the birds were actually using quite a lot of the island, but the only nests actually located were in a similar area. So then the next obvious question was, well, how well are they doing? You know, how many are there there conservation concerns about them? So a land-based project was started onshore on the island Uh, to try and work out how many individuals there were, which is what we're doing right now. And that's based around seeing how many are flying around at night, trying to capture them, and then um, doing a a capture-recapture study, so basically looking at how many birds that are caught have previously been banned and then doing the complicated statistics and working out what the population size might be. 
We catch sometimes no birds a night, sometimes maybe half a dozen birds. On the best night ever um, on the island, I think we caught 18 birds one night. So 18? It's quite variable. 18 on a single night, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was a busy night. It was a very busy night, yep. Do yep. you catch the same birds more than once? It's really quite unusual to recapture banded birds, which has been a big surprise to us because we would have expected to be catching quite a lot of banded birds, given that we didn't think there really would have been that many birds in the entire population. So um, we're now starting to think that maybe we're catching a biased section of the population uh, because we keep catching unbanded birds. Um, We do catch a few banded ones, but not many. So what we're thinking is actually... Um, going on is that we're perhaps catching non-breeding birds and young ones, um, so we're constantly sampling um, the juveniles that are coming into the population anew, therefore, of course, they don't have bands on them, um, whereas the breeding birds are not getting caught so frequently. This is just a theory at this stage, but it would be one explanation as to why we're not recapturing birds very commonly. Another explanation could be, of course, that the population is actually surprisingly large. It is surprisingly large. I mean, it must be. Obviously, it's in the hundreds and surely is in the low thousands minimum. So that is surprisingly large. But I think um, the ratios that we'd be getting of banded to unbanded birds would be putting the population so high it's kind of unbelievable. So um, I think there is another explanation that we've got. We're catching a subsection of the entire population. Of course, there's this other project that's going on the island, these artificial burrows. How does that fit into the big picture? Because we've been catching so many birds on the island, of course, we have to let them go somewhere. So initially we were just letting them go up the coast so they could fly back out to sea. But we realised that this was a bit of a missed opportunity because in some of these similar projects where birds are caught at lights, if you put them into artificial nest boxes those birds have in some cases come back and actually nested in those boxes uh, in future years so we thought well why don't we build an artificial nest um, colony and um, put the birds we're catching into the nest boxes so there's a possibility that we as a byproduct of this capture recapture product actually build up an artificial uh, nest colony so that's been a sort of a spin-off that developed as a result of catching so many birds. Now the 2017 New Zealand Storm Petrol project has sort of come to an end almost for this season. How many birds have we banded this year so far? Have you got the numbers there, Alan? I have. I've just been adding it up as we've just finished the season and we caught 113 on shore here this year. So you say 113 birds banded this year. How many in total? According to what we've just added up, we think there's 425 banded um, in just over 10 years. So that's an awful lot of birds caught, individuals caught and individually banded, given that we didn't really know they existed about 15 years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, all of us are extremely surprised by the number of birds we've managed to catch. Before we leave the island, there's one last thing to do. Now this is going to be exciting because we're going to go in and check the nest box that you saw the bird fly into the other night. Yeah, so a couple of nights ago a bird flew into this burrow. I saw it using an infrared camera and then two days after that I peeked in really 
quickly into the burrow, and there was a bird sitting on a nest in there, and we don't know if that bird had an egg or if it was just staying during the day, but we're really hoping that it's laid an egg in there because it's unlikely for these nocturnal seabirds to be kind of sitting in the burrow in the middle of the day for no real reason, and it's their breeding season as well. So we're really excited and really hopeful <laughs> that there might be a, an egg in that burrow. Fantastic. Well, fingers crossed, Karen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this will be uh, you know, a milestone if it's the case. The very first ever egg for this species uh, in this new colony that we've developed. Let's go and see what's there. Okay, so here we are, number 19, and what are you going to do, just pick up the lid and have a wee peek inside? We're just going to open it a couple centimetres and look inside and see if there's a bird sitting on an egg or if there's just an egg in the burrow. Or worst-case scenario. Or worst-case scenario, there's nothing in the burrow. So, yeah. Okay. Exciting. Yeah. Okay, you go, Megan. There's an egg. There's an egg. Oh! (laughs) Yes! (laughs) I'm super excited. Hey, that's great. But But no bird, just the egg? Just the egg. So it's a little egg. Does it matter that it's on it? That it's on it's on it. That it's not a bird. Hopefully not. It, um, this has happened in the past, so hopefully the parents are out getting fish and food, and they come back, sit on that egg. We'll just scurry away, and then we'll talk about how significant that is because it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> So the size of the egg, Karen, mm-hmm. how does that compare to other birds? Well, it's pretty large. Yeah, <laughs> it looks tiny to us, but when you see the size of the bird, it's pretty big, quite a big percentage of its body. So just the one egg, of course. Yes, yes, <laughs> all petrels only produce one egg. And do we know anything about, or can you guess at how long it might take for that egg to hatch? Well, generally with, um, with birds, it's related to uh, the size of the egg and the species. And so for this, I guess we'd estimate maybe about 30 days. And the parents are going to take turns incubating? Yep, both parents incubate the egg and petrels. So they take turns sitting on the egg, keeping it warm, and then going out and feeding and then swapping over. And because they're feeding locally... You know, we kind of expect that they might change over quite regularly, but that'll be something for us to to find out. That's right, because this is all new, isn't it? Completely (laughs) new. No, and this will be the first time we get to actually see um, anything about the the breeding biology of this bird. Now, Megan, tell me, this is a world first, so this is your first egg in the artificial colony. So big congratulations on that. How many... New Zealand storm petrel eggs have there been in total that we know about? This is the third egg that's been seen. Um, So barely any, basically. And we just got to see it, which is really cool. What are you going to do now? Just leave it in peace? Leave it alone with a camera pointing at the burrow so you can see when the parents come and go? 
Yes, so we kind of booby-trapped that whole area a few days ago, and so we really want to disturb that nest as little as possible. Like Karen said, we don't really know anything about these birds' breeding biology, so there's a, we don't know if how disturbance affects their ability to breed, so we really just want to leave them alone and make sure that egg hopefully will hatch into a chick successfully, and then... From there, hopefully, we can study their biology a bit, bit better in these colonies. It's something that we've been working towards for, you know, three or four years now, you know, with the, with the vision that we're trying to create this whole colony that we can then study the breeding biology of it. But it was always just, a, you know, a bit like a, a gamble, really. You know, you could never be certain that something that you think might work will actually work, so... You know, for, for everybody who's been working on this project, um, and there's a big team of people, you know, there's a lot of effort being involved in actually doing this. It's, it's a, you know, huge um, triumph, really. Now it really feels like it's going to succeed, you know, and so we can keep going, and hopefully over the next few years we'll actually see that, that colony grow to be a, a real seabird colony, a real petrol colony and they're amazing places, you know they're just a seabird colony you know, with lots of birds coming into it and being really successful, we absolutely amazing for this, you know, recently rediscovered species That was Karen Baird from Forest and Bird, and we also heard from Te Papa's Alan Tennyson and Megan Friesen from the Northern New Zealand Seabird Trust. Now if you head to our webpage rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld not only will you be able to find that story again and check up photos of the birds and the people but you'll find a web-only interview with American seabird researcher Matthew Savoka he was part of the New Zealand storm petrel team and is an expert on how seabirds use smell to sense their world and how and why plastic is a problem to them thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast Check out our webpage for photos and web features. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.